today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Yesterday, a federal court of appeal shot down the Canadian government's approval of the Kinder Morgan pipeline, the Trans Mountain Pipeline. Uh, This has put a stop right now to whatever plans existed to build it. And the Trudeau government has to go back to the drawing board to figure out how to get things approved if they're going to. However, this decision has seemingly angered pretty much everybody in the country. Environmentalists, while happy that it's been stopped, are angry the government spent $4.5 billion and made this a pillar of its environmental policy. And that includes NDP leader Jagmeet Singh and Green Party leader Elizabeth May. The Conservative Party, of course, is ticked off again at the $4.5 billion. They're ticked off at the chance to bolster the economy being squandered. Alberta Premier Rachel Notley is upset because her province is getting slammed by this and the salvation that was supposed to come is being stalled, if not dead. Polls say that those out west are angry about this and feel alienated and aggrieved. The B.C. government is mad at this. The indigenous leaders are upset about this, even though, again, they're in a lot of ways happy about it, but they weren't sufficiently consulted. I could go on and on. Polls are showing people are angry. Pipeline officials are angry. And according to the Toronto Star, which is generally friendly to the Liberals, the court also, this is a quote, the court also raised questions about the governing diligence of Trudeau and his cabinet, which of course led Finance Minister Bill Morneau yesterday to blame Stephen Harper, of course. But anyway, Marvin Ryder joins me in studio now. I think I've sort of covered some of the people yeah. who are uh, frustrated. A, a bit of a mess, isn't As it? As the stomach turns. Yeah, it's it's <coughs> a little bit of a mess, it's this like one is. It's like explaining the plot to one of these soap operas on television. Everything, everywhere is up in the air. Yes, but it's not, th- this is a mess. Well, it's a mess. So l- let's take you back a little bit till May. This is when, um, or maybe we should take you back to 2016, the fall of 2016, Liberals had been elected in 2015. They uh, said, we have these pipelines we have to look at. There was something called the Northern Gateway that was going to take uh, liquefied natural gas to parts of Vancouver. There was uh, the Keystone XL pipeline taking stuff down in the United States. There's an Energy East pipeline that was going to bring things that way. And then there's the Trans Mountain. So Mr. Trudeau, who views himself as an environmentalist, sort of made it clear from the beginning, well, you're not going to get all these pipelines. I can't approve all these. That doesn't, that's not environmentally friendly. <clears throat> so he canceled. He said, no, I'm not going to approve Northern Gateway. And Christy Clark's, this was the premier of BC at the time, her idea went by the wayside. But he did approve Trans Mountain. Now, the Trans Mountain pipeline, for everyone to remember, was owned by Kinder Morgan. It was an existing pipeline that was chock full of oil. There wasn't any extra oil. And in fact, because it was so full, train cars and train cars and train cars of oil were being shipped from the roughly Edmonton area down to British Columbia. And they were going to twin the pipeline. That was the key. They were going to twin it. Uh, And that's the one that the government approved and said, okay, we've thought about it all. Twin it. It's already there. It's already there. Put another one beside it. And also, we're going to get all these train cars off the road and, and so on and so forth. So we're going to go ahead and twin it. So uh, we had a change in government. Christy Clark lost the election in B.C., and in came the NDP under Mr. Horgan, and he said, I'm going to oppose it. Now, I don't actually think Mr. Horgan is opposed to it, but to remain in power, he needs the votes from two people who are part of the Green Party, and they are opposed to it. So to stay in power, he needs to make the Greens happy. He's got to oppose it. So um, fast forward to May of 2018, you've got the NDP government in Alberta squabbling with the NDP government in British Columbia. They should be singing from the same song sheet. They're fighting at each other. Trudeau says, we're going to find a way out of this. 
I thought he was just simply going to order it done. These pipelines are actually under federal jurisdiction, not under provincial jurisdiction. Instead, they tried something else. They bought the company. They, so they bought the pipeline from Kinder Morgan. And here's the irony. Yesterday, as you're giving your court update, was also the day the sale was all approved by Kinder Morgan. So we now own the Trans Mountain Pipeline and any expansion thereof. Uh, did it help? No. Instantly, everybody and his brother filed a lawsuit. So yesterday's judgment was because of lawsuits brought by First Nations people of British Columbia and by some smaller communities saying they weren't properly consulted. The judge agreed with them. Now, this was an appeals court. There was actually an earlier one that said, no, everything was fine. They appealed that decision, and the appeals court sided now with the other side, not the federal government, and said, yeah, they, they probably cut corners. So what did Mr. Morneau say? He said, well, look, by the time we got elected in, in 2015, much of the consultation that was supposed to have happened should have happened. We just had the last parts of the puzzle here. So, yeah, okay, we'll agree they bungled the job. And, yeah, okay, we'll agree we'll go back now and do the consultations required, which will probably take another year to two years to get through. Uh, in the meantime, Rachel Notley, who said, I need action now, in part because she's facing re-election next year in a tough election year campaign. Remember Jason Kenney mm -hmm. retired from the conservatives to move into that. Um, and so what she has now done is she has opted out of Trudeau's energy policy. So you got Doug Ford opting out of the energy because he doesn't want to pay any taxes for cap and trade. And now Rachel Notley, who was all in favor of, of this, said, well, until you fix this, I'm taking my toys and heading home. And Mr. Horgan says, well, I really want you just to cancel it all together. But now that we own the, the, the pipeline, the Trans Mountain Pipeline, I don't see any of that happening. So the mess continues. Well, yeah. So we've put now as taxpayers $4.5 billion U.S. into this. Not even Canadian money. So that's about $47 billion. Yeah, that's something around, uh, around, around the nearest trillion to the nearest uh, trillion. So we've got this pipeline now. We have to do something. They're not going to just sit on it. So I'm assuming now that this would go to the Supreme Court or this is going to be taken to the next level to try. Or do they just say, we're, as you say, we're going to just try and renegotiate well, this? That's, and you raise an interesting point. So yesterday in his press conference, Mr. Morneau said, we are now going to review closely the, the well, what the appeals... As long as it's closely. We're going to review it closely to see. And so one option is to say, look, we're not happy with what that appeals judge, so we'll appeal to a higher court take it to the Supreme Court. That is a possibility. The second one is to say, okay, we admit defeat, we didn't do the right thing, and now try to fast-track consultations with the Aboriginal groups and these various cities involved, still with an eye of getting the darn thing built. So let's keep in mind, Trans Mountain still exists. Every day it's still transporting oil. It is still packed to the brim. And let's also remember that there are hundreds of thousands of train cars a year making that same parallel trek. Uh, do you remember a little town called Lac Magantic yes, in Quebec? I that, that burned to the ground because of train cars. I know, I, I, personally, I feel I'm an environmentalist, but I sometimes realize there have to be trade-offs. And I would much rather have oil in a pipeline than oil in train cars. Well, the National Energy Board yesterday announced that the amount of oil that was being carried on rail lines is higher now than it's ever been because of that, because the pipelines are jammed full and can't handle right. anymore. And that's all pipelines, including the Keystone and other pipelines that are still to be built. We want this oil. We want this oil from the tar sands. Now, again, I understand where environmentalists come from. It's, it's, quote, dirty oil. It's got a lot of sulfur in it. It's heavier, harder to refine. But it also allows us to be self-sufficient and not buy oil from other parts of the world. Well, as a reminder, 
we know that energy is a huge part of Canada's economy, but how significant, how, why is this so important that we can expand the amount of oil that we can produce and export and get moved around? Yeah. So the, uh, the key word you used in there was export. So this p- pipeline, Trans Mountain, takes oil from, let's call it the Edmonton area, really the oil sands, down to uh, around Vancouver. It actually and then the, to get onto ships to be able to go out. Well, that's one route, and then it also can connect to a pipeline that will take it down to the United States. So uh, Washington State, Oregon, parts of California get some of this oil. Uh, of course, we have this country, I, I don't know if you've heard of it, called China, mm. who's in a bit of a trade dispute with the United States. They need oil, and of course the United States with the tariffs, what have you. So uh, many Chinese people say, well, let's buy from Canada. They're a nice country. <laughs> we like their oil. So... Uh, the, the, the pipeline would go from something like 300,000 barrels, the twinning would take it up to 800,000 barrels. It actually more than doubles the volume that can be moved. And, and so if I'm in Alberta, this is, a, this is a province that was really hit by the 2007-8 recession, an economy that had been booming that really fell back. Uh, Rachel Notley wants to say, you know, it's the well, economy the stupid, things are better. Right. She was the beneficiary in some ways of winning that because the economy took such a dump at that time. Right. So, so, but now she wants to be able to say, under my leadership, look how much better things are and everything's just chugging along just fine. So uh, this isn't going to go away. The, the, the liberals are not going to let this one go. Also because there are seats in the West, and, and you might remember that Mr. Trudeau had a father named Pierre who got into trouble with his national energy a policy. A few times. A few times. Really ticked off a lot of people in Alberta around that. His, By the way, what that was all about, he viewed oil as a national resource, not a provincial resource. So we should be managing it to the benefit of the country. And Albertans said, not so fast. It's our oil. We're going to manage it to our benefit. So Trudeau feels he's got to make a stand here. Uh, and so it's not going to go away. A, a, a fast appeal to the Supreme Court would actually be the fastest way to do this. But I suspect in parallel, they'll begin some of the consultations that weren't done properly, again, in the hope of getting this thing constructed. One other quick note, Scott, uh, they did this for Kinder Morgan, and they're going to do this for anybody else who wants to invest. They're going to indemnify them. This is another interesting thing. So if you have any problems during construction, if there's any holdups, any delays that cause the costs of twinning this pipeline to go up, we're going to backstop you. We're going to cover those overruns. It's an amazing blank check written by a government. That's how badly they want this. The, the, one of the immediate responses from this was people encouraging Rachel Notley to do what she has threatened to do before, and that is because BC is really the early author of this, mm-hmm. uh, we're cutting off all oil to BC. You want to pay for oil, you're going to have $20 a gallon or liter, whatever, for your cars. We're going to make it so miserable for you any chance that she does that? And if she does, is there any chance, could we in Canada end up with an intranational oil war? Well, is it possible? Absolutely. Uh, right now, both sides seem entrenched. And again, this to me is amazing because they're from the same party. They're both NDP. Mm. Uh, we don't actually have that many NDP governments. We certainly have not had a federal government, and even provincially, we haven't kiss and make up people, stay, stay their way. Uh, having said that, BC has an alternative, and that's imported oil. Remember, it's on the coast, so it can get oil from Venezuela or other places delivered there. So they're not going to starve. But again, I think John Horgan, he's, they're trying to put him in a difficult spot. How badly are you going to want to stop this one pipeline versus how much do you want the oil and keep your gasoline prices down? As it is, Vancouver has some of the highest gasoline prices in uh, Canada, and, and therefore this, this could make it worse. So could there be a war? Sure. Rachel Notley is desperate to make something happen. I think Trudeau's desperate. 
frankly, if I was Horgan, what I would do is I'd go to Mr. Trudeau and said, I'll change this if you give me X. Mm. I don't know what X is. Rebuild the Lionsgate Bridge or build me a new highway to something or other. Trudeau would do that for him in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. I would lever that if I was him rather than do the opposition thing. Uh, Perrin Beatty, who uh, former politician, now yes. the Canadian Chamber of Commerce president, yep. uh, said, and this is a quote of his from yesterday, this sends a profoundly negative message to investors both here at home and around the world about Canada's regulatory system and our ability to get things done even after the federal government has declared them to be in the national interest. Do you agree with that? Yes, in the sense that uh, if you look at Texas as an example, here, let's give you a counteract. Here's an oil-based economy in Texas, easy to attract money to Texas, uh, easy to put money into fracking. Everyone likes fracking. And currently the Trump administration, very pro uh Uh, the oil industry and very sort of anti the environmental movement, easy to get money there. If I'm a company looking to invest in Canada and you tell me that energy or oil is a national resource, I speak to the federal government and they say, you have my assurance that will happen. And then it doesn't. It raises questions. And then if it continues, well, we'll, we'll, we got it fixed. Just give us another month. We'll get it fixed. And now it's gone on for two years and it's going to go on for two more. Absolutely, it sends a negative note. We've already seen two large American companies divest themselves of oil sands properties because they said, this is too complicated to do business. You folks don't really want our money after all. So Perrin's not wrong in doing this. Having said that, the the oil reserves in Alberta are among the largest in the world. They're even larger than the Saudi reserves. They're just harder to get out of the ground. So I don't think people will run completely away. But yeah, we need to send a signal that we are open for some kind of business. Now, I don't know if there's any connection, but we are right in the middle of the most crucial moments of the NAFTA talks that are going on right now. (laughs) The president looks at, I'm sure he's seen what this decision is that Canada has now a bit of an oil situation. Does this in any way embolden, strengthen him, weaken us in these talks? Because now our oil situation is not as good. Does this change anything that's going on in these talks? No. So God bless you that you think that Donald Trump is that well-versed in things that he knows what's happening in Canada. His people might be, but this, having just come from the United States, I returned from from California on Monday. I can tell you it's like a cone of silence. If it doesn't happen in the United States, it it almost doesn't happen in their mindset. So they wouldn't be aware of this court decision. And also because the outcome isn't quite clear, are they going to appeal it or something else? It's background noise. Christia Freeland's not going to bring it up. And when asked about this yesterday, Christia said, this is not going to have any impact on NAFTA. She's not going to discuss it. I still, by the way, speaking about that, believe we could have a NAFTA deal by supper time tonight. Uh, the sides are, are intensely negotiating 24 hours a day. Uh, they're down to some very fine issues. Now, they're tough issues, but we've, we're focused on just those last few. Uh, I think it's quite possible we'll have this. And energy, in a way, isn't really part of that. The, the thing that would affect consumers, and maybe this cheers people or not, would be telecommunications. Uh, Americans really want us to open the telecommunications market, and I think Canadians do too, because we feel that the three or four companies that dominate cell phones, the internet, aren't giving us the best deal possible. So we might be able to get AT&T or whatever or else. Or Verizon. And, and much cheaper rates? Or, well, <laughs> they could either come north of the border and mimic the rates of Rogers, which doesn't help us, or they could enter the market and help bring the rates down. That's what I think people would hope. So no, I don't think it's going to have any impact on NAFTA at all. Just, okay. So we back to the trans mountain because we don't know what's going to happen now. No. We uh, probably, I think a lot of people are suspecting this is a hiccup and that somewhere, somehow they're going to figure something up. But what if it doesn't? What if, what if we end up in a stalemate and it becomes either too costly or just can't work its way through the courts? 
What happens then? So we own, Canada now owns a, a one pipeline. We don't own two. Uh, that is chock full. It's making money. It, it, so don't worry. You didn't invest in something that's not profitable. But we're still shipping hundreds of thousands of train cars full of oil down through the mountains into that area. That's not going to change. That oil's got to go somewhere. And Alberta is not going to stop extracting oil. And if we were able to build a second one, and again, this is not the environmental debate. We can have the environmental debate people can jump in. But if we were able to build the second one, would it affect our prices? Would we have cheaper prices at the pump? Would we have cheaper prices to heat our home? Or would this mostly be oil that's going elsewhere Mm -hmm. so it really wouldn't affect our bottom line? Yeah, so the, the use of the we and the our there, since we... I'm talking about you and I as Joe Public. <laughs> well, since we are in Ontario, the answer is no. This oil is going in a completely different direction. It's going west. So it would have an impact on the we, if you will, in British Columbia. And yes, some of this oil would be destined for international markets. Uh, so that is the one. Keystone XL, if it happens, or the twinning of some of these other uh, pipelines locally, The I think it's the Line 9 expansion, what have you, that would affect us. This will not affect us because the oil is going in the wrong direction. Marvin Ryder from the Negroot School of Business wrapping up your 13th interview of the morning? Of the morning so far. 13th of the morning so far. And you know what? You didn't say anything that was either punchy or, you know, like it sounds like you've lost your mind. You're you're very sharp still. And that's with no coffee. Can you imagine that? No coffee. (laughs) Marvin Ryder, thanks as always. My pleasure. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. So here's the situation. We have heard now for weeks and weeks and weeks about the topic of bucket beer that Doug Ford and the Ontario government wanted to promote the idea that we could have bucket beer lower the minimum cost. Take us back to the days of Lakeport, once upon a time when Teresa Cascioli turned that into a growing or going concern. But the overwhelming thing that I kept hearing online and in person was I'm never going to buy beer that costs a buck because it's going to taste like I peed in a cup and just drank it. It's going to be horrible. No one will drink buck of beer crap. And this has been the overriding comment from the craft brewers and everyone else. No one, we want good quality. We want good taste. You're never going to want to drink this stuff. So we thought we would put that to the test today. We have assembled an august panel of beer drinking experts not 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 beer experts, beer drinking experts. <laughs> uh, Anthony Urcioli, you hear mm-hmm. him on 900 CHML here every day doing the sports. Uh, next to him, Joey Castillo, who is the weekend and swing announcer for 95.3 Fresh FM, our sister station. He was just on this morning. And Keegan Buchanan, who is in the promotions department here at Chorus, doing all the stations in the Chorus family of radio. That would be CHML and Y108 and Fresh FM. Guys, thanks for coming in. No yeah. problem. Come out of all of us, Keegan is the one who needs the drinks. Yeah. <laughs> I'm here to do my do my duty. I'm just... <laughs> so what we have in front of us, and I should have taken a picture, and, and maybe I will take a picture as you guys start, and we'll put it on Twitter, is we have six little red cups, the, you know, the beer pong cups that are in front of, uh, in front of all you guys. And each one I have pre-filled with beer. They are all loggers. They are all bought at the beer store, so there's no craft beers, there's no stuff like that. They are all stuff that you could go... No sours, no... And they they range from the buck of beer to the more expensive premium beer. I'm not telling you what beers are in play. I'm not telling you how many of which or what or whatever. We are simply going to try them and let's see where this goes. And if you can determine 
which one? I mean, if one of them stands out as being just bleh, bleh, the, the you know, and we'll we'll see. So number the cups are numbered. So start with number one. Okay. You have no idea what's in this one. Diving in. Diving in. Take number one. It's ten thirty on a Friday morning, but it is Labor Day weekend, so it's fair to get a good start. Oh. Anyone want to? Anyone want a okay. thought on number one? Does number? How's number one? It's uh, um, Anthony, do you think? Uh, it's a little a little flat. Little uh, oaky afterbirth. I think uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, nice. The oaky afterbirth. Very nice. <laughs> Channeling liner Tastes, Michael Scott. Yeah, but it's like <laughs> saddle, saddle leather. Yes, yes. Is it gold? Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a. I, I, you know what? It actually, I've had it before, and that's why I'm not even really a connoisseur. And you know, <laughs> this but, is but, Anthony but, talking. Yeah, about sorry. Um, but I, it tastes like a pr- a president's choice. And okay, I believe really? they were one of the bucket beers. Okay, so you think that might be I a I think that might be a, that might be a bucket oh. beer. I'm I'm guessing like a Coors Light, man. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing not a bucket beer. Yeah, no? it it kind of went down smoother, but mm-hmm. like once once Anthony said the the flat, like that's that's kind of what I taste so now. So not too bubbly. Not too bubbly. No. President's right, Choice isn't a sponsor of the program. Right? Right, none of these are sponsors. <laughs> <call laughs> <their beer. laughs> I don't want to call their beer flat, but uh, I know of none of them are sponsors. All right. All right, number 1. So number 1, a little flat, <clears throat> maybe a President's Choice, maybe a Bucca beer, not really sure. We'll dive into number 2 here. Anthony? That okay. tastes like a Molson, like a Canadian. Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna. So I was gonna say. I was gonna say a Canadian too. That's a Molson Canadian. Yeah, yeah, that's it's fuller. If that makes any sense. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yeah, fuller in a good way or fuller, fuller in a good way. Look at us. There's yeah. such beer snobs all of a sudden. <laughs> okay, so number two is fuller in a good way. So of the two so far, and we're asking you to sort of keep track of these where you would grade them. Which one is ahead of the other at this point? Number two for me. Yeah, yeah. two. Yeah. number two yeah. across the board. Number two. It's not flat. That's not. That's flat. what I'm looking. <laughs> not flat. That's what I'm looking fuller. for in everything. As oh, wearing yeah. a monocle. Okay. <laughs> I should have given you a little ca- cup of water to cleanse yes. the palate after <laughs> each one. All right, number three. Let us try number three here and see how we're doing. Again, these are all loggers. They are all bought at the beer store or at the liquor store, either one, wherever you want to mm. go buy your beer. I gotta, I gotta dive into number two again. Anthony here. made a face. You don't like that? This no. Is good. Number three. I like it. It's it's I, hoppy. It's stronger mm. than the first. It's a little two. too manly for my liking. <laughs> <laughs> I want something in a, in a raspberry if, if it's available. Yeah, can we get a Rattler? Yeah, that's. I don't I think still, that's Buckabee. I still like two better. Still, still like, like two, two better. I'm a fan of three. Three is on top. For okay, me. so three has but, gone well, ahead. Hang on, for the Charlie. game is which a bucket beer and what's not, isn't it? No, or are we ranking? We're just gonna rank oh. them. But, yeah, well, just rank them. I've been organizing them. In no, a, but it's okay. But if you properly. think you can figure out which is the bucket beer, you okay. can give that one too. All right. But so far, okay. So right now, you have which one first, still, Anthony? Which one the, would you the have second in front? One, number two. Number two. Keegan, which one would you have in front? Uh, number two for me still. Number two. And Joey? Oh, number three. Me. Number <laughs> three. <laughs> Burping on air is acceptable during this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're only three <laughs> sips you know, of beer in. There's going to be a ride program waiting <laughs> up front. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Klaus, Klaus Wagner is coming exactly. in. Exactly. <laughs> We're all going to be saying, I love you Hamilton soon. Police. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, so we do have the little beer cups, but no b- ping pong ball. So there yes. will be no one. So, <laughs> someone calls me bro, I'm out. I'm not. That's too much. Man, Come on, man. Beer number four. Take a sip of beer number four. And Joey, how's beer number four? That tastes reminds me of number one. Like, yeah. yeah. Like, like I'm gonna Not say much. that's a buck of beer as well. Just yeah. like that might one. be a buck of beer. Yeah. yeah. Okay, Keegan. I would I would agree. Also, kind of a buck of beer it has a weirder aftertaste on the first Keegan's one. Keegan's gotta take a break from drinking. Yeah. Let me just Scott. Let me just. Yeah, I, that was a little more watery and flat. A little more watery me. and flat. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. And by the way, just so people, again, they can't see us, uh, we are, th- not we, I'm not having any right now. I'm still actually doing radio. Mm. Uh, I'm still working, but uh, we're only having, yeah, <laughs> we're only having sips right now, okay? We're not actually dumping the whole thing down. They didn't get an, a beer for each of these. It was just uh, 
it was just broken up. All right, number five. Take a sip of number five, and All what do you right. think of number five? A lot of okay. swallowing noise is going on. <laughs> okay. I think I just found another buck of beer. I think that one was a buck of beer. Out of I, all of them, this one is the hardest to figure out if it's a buck of beer or yeah. not. It's very, it's very middle. Yeah, very it middle is. Ground. It's super yeah. middle. Like, there's a strong taste to it, but there's also something light about it. This one's going to be the hard one. Um, I'm going to put this one in the middle. <laughs> I do like middle. it. I'm going to guess it's buck of beer, but I like it. Okay. Uh, have there been any yet so far? Now, you said you didn't like number, you weren't a big fan of number three. Right, you didn't like yeah, number three. Yeah, that was my least favorite. But uh, all the other ones, all so far reasonably tasty? Yeah, I mean, I would drink any. I mean, you know, I would drink them. Yeah. The Someone is, offered like, it to after me. After a couple beers, too. Like, it doesn't matter what beer tastes but like. But even now, you haven't, you're, you're, not, you're, not, you're not intoxicated at this point. You're just sampling, I assume. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you didn't come in here with a pre-drink. Um, so uh, at this point, any offensive yet? No. no, nothing no, that no, right no. off the bat I'd be like, no, I'm not drinking that. Yeah. Okay, nothing, no. nothing offensive. Okay, number six. Go to number six and see how we do. This is our last sample, and then we're going to sort of sort out where things stand on this one. This is another good one. See, Anthony, no, made a face I don't again. like it. This is my urine one. That's <laughs> the what? Yeah. Really? Yeah. This is actually not bad. This Maybe is good. the urine I've tried is half decent then, but that one was not my <laughs> during, favorite during Anthony's survival I'll week in the yes. world. Yes. <laughs> That was my six? least. I'm a fan of six as well. Uh, okay, yeah, never Definitely mind. Definitely this. I just had an aftertaste of it. <laughs> That's what taste, I'm talking hey, about. I just tasted the afterbirth. Really? Like the afterbirth. <laughs> <laughs> That's the worst part. <laughs> All right, yeah. number, let me switch number six. You know, I always, number six goes We were talking end. about this the other day when the people who actually do reviews of wine and beer and stuff, and they come up with things like the smoky afterbirth. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> when Stop have you it. actually tasted an afterbirth yes. to be able to? <laughs> when have you licked a saddle leather? No. <laughs> saddle leather. <laughs> I've chewed on dirt. All right, so okay. Anthony, your order would be what from here? Um, what, p- tell me what's your first one and what's your last one? My first, I, my first one was, two, I lost my. You know what? I I, I boxed the whole thing. I'm losing three. I think <laughs> we got we got to start this again. Three, <laughs> refill. Three was the one you didn't like. Three was the one you didn't like. Right. I think I liked four. Number four. Okay. I Num- think so. I, I, but I, but I have three, three bucket beers. I think I tasted three bucket beers. Okay, which one do you think are the bucket beers? What numbers? Um, it was one, mm-hmm. and okay. So scratch what I said. One, four, and five. I think. Okay. Or bucket beers. See, well, and I would say Keegan? one, four, and six. Yeah, I'm the same as Keegan. One, one four, and six. four, and six would be the bucket beers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which one was your favorite? Number two. Number two was your favorite. Yeah. And least favorite? Least favorite, six. Six. Yeah. All right, Joey. Number two was my favorite, and number one was my least favorite. Number Ooh. one was your least favorite. All right. So here we go in order. Number one. So your least favorite, Joey. Coors Light. Wow. Oh, I was right. I was right. I All right. It. Cooper's right. Light. Now, did either any of you say that was a buck of beer? I did. I did. Yeah. All right. So, no. not a buck of beer. Yeah, Coors Light, beers. number one. It's overpriced then is what the <laughs> problem is. Number two. Who had number two as somewhere on their list? Uh, as one of my favorite. Yeah, favorite, my favorite. favorite. I liked it, yeah. Favorite. Okay. Number two, cool, buck of beer. No. Oh. Mind blown. Oh. What? $4.40 for a pack of four at the LCBO right now wow. for cool. Okay, okay. I'm still not buying it out of protest because I don't like the whole thing, but it was the best one. I, I, and you yeah. guys had both, I think, if I remember, had both thought that was Molson Canadian when yeah. you first tasted it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is called cool. That is a buck a beer. Yeah. <laughs> Mind blown. Wow. <laughs> 
All right. Number three. Where was number three in anyone's That was my second favorite. That was my You hated that one. No, my (laughs) ranking got all messed up. I think... I don't know. Don't maybe don't even come to me anymore. It's but I think that favorite. one second favorite. Yeah, yeah. It was my third favorite. Third favorite. All right, uh, that makes sense because it is one of our premium beers. That would be your Heineken. Okay, ah, I did like that really? one. There we go. That's funny. <laughs> and now that has the. Name. That was my second favorite. I <laughs> my ranking was two, then three. <laughs> okay, number four. Where was number four on our list? Here? I had a bucket beer. That was favorite. That one was the one that was like we couldn't figure out quite where it went. It was it was more of a middle. No, Middle no, ground. that was number five. Number oh, number five. F- yeah, was. number five was that one. Number four, you say it was yeah, one. Yeah, four e- was very watery and very watery. Very light. Mm-hmm. Uh, four would be not premium, but higher end middle ground. That would be Coors Banquet. Oh, oh. wow, <laughs> Coors Banquet. That, <laughs> that's you know, my go-to. That's your go-to, really? and that's yeah. the one with what's his name from the the actor who does the uh, the truck commercials and the Coors Banquet. He's got that low yeah, country got that, voice. Yeah, I got yeah. Whatever his name is, yeah, yeah. Coors Banquet. That sounds really good. Well, Coors Banquet did not fare particularly oh, well. Yeah, no. yeah, Coors are on my not in this one. Yeah, All right, number five. Number five was the one that Keegan you said it was hard to figure out where that one was. Yeah. It was right in the middle. Yeah, right in the middle. What, and, and is that a good or bad right in the middle? Taste it. Can you drink it or was it awful? It was it was like doable. Doable. Like but, yeah. That's that's all that's all we asked. Five, I think, was my, my buck of beer. Okay, yeah, well Joey said when Joey was tasting it, one of the things he said was it tastes really light. Uh, that was an ex- excellent observation because when I went to buy this stuff yesterday from the beer <laughs> store, they had sold out of the lager. They only had the light brand left of this. This was PC wow. Light. This is Bucca Beer. Oh. Brethren, that's Interestingly, when I went to the beer store to buy this yesterday, on their, you know, they have the computers in the store where you can test before you go in and see. Uh, that morning, they had 23 cases of lager for Bucca Beer in the store. By the time I got there in the afternoon, they were sold out, and she said, we've been sold out for hours. Wow. So... People are snatching up the buck of beer, whether mm-hmm. it's good, bad, or indifferent. But mm-hmm. uh, but here it's middle of the uh, middle of the road. By the Very sounds interesting. of it, two buck of, two bucks of beer have been in my top three. Really? Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Perfect. Number six. Where was number six <laughs> on the list? I know you said you didn't like number six. I hated number six. It was that, that was yeah. my urine beer. Yeah, yeah six, I didn't like it. Six, no, six was like in between. Really? Well, number six was the most expensive Come of on. the beers oh. that we purchased. Say that was Grolsch. Oh, I know Grolsch. Grolsch, which has the cool, <laughs> <I know him. laughs> which has the cool bottles yeah. and mm. the cool pop-top bottles yeah. and the Dutch beer, which is, um, and I say, it's the premium beer that we actually had in the mix here. Oh. Anyone surprised that cool, the buck of beer, the $4 for a case of four with 40 cent deposit, that, mm-hmm. that would be your favorite? Yeah, yeah. I'm 100 yeah. I didn't expect I was that. shocked yeah. when they told us it was cool. I am shooketh at the moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was like, What? <laughs> I've never even heard of it. Because you don't think that something so cheap would taste pretty good. Yeah. Until bam, and like like Anthony said, it's not something that like we're like we're vouching for or anything. But it's just <laughs> surprising that we won't make a political stance. But, but I kind of made one. But I, I no, I I agree. I mean, I wouldn't. Yeah, it it definitely. I was surprised that it was the better tasting one. But yeah. the, the funny part to me about this is again, and as I started with this, we have heard for weeks now that no beer maker is going to make buck a beer because the the ingredients are going to be terrible and it's going to taste like crap and all mm-hmm. the rest. Apparently not so much. I mean, the craft people right now are at our front door with pitchforks and torches. <laughs> well, the, the craft thing is a trendy kind of cool thing to be drinking right now. I don't think it necessarily tastes better than the other ones. I think it's just like a, a it's, it's a thing right now. 
What does it say, though, about the idea that you must have highest quality ingredients in your beer to have the best taste? This would seem to raise some questions about that. Because yeah. I'm, I'm guessing these aren't the highest quality ingredients. As someone that only buys $7 Chilean wine, um, <laughs> I would vouch for the fact that I, yeah, no, I don't, I agree. I think, you know, I think it's more loyalty because with craft beers, mm. you're loyal to that one spot. So it's also you're local paying a lot of the time. more expensive, you'll yeah. still pay that. As opposed to like a cool, if it's cheaper, it's the loyalty that keeps that keeps mm -hmm. you there. Yeah, and why, even though all this is going on, craft breweries are still gonna get their stuff bought. Yeah, and it, the local angle fits in as well too. I think. So the cool, actually, if you're looking at it, kind of has a, like a Labatt's Blue kind of label. Oh, There's yeah. the label to it. Uh, it's brewed by the Cool Beer Brewing Company in Toronto, Ontario. I I, I had to check because I didn't even know if it was made by. Molson or Labatt's or something, yeah. but um, no. Yeah, the is brewery just is just off of Islington and wow. the Gardner. Right. I, I, I live in North Etobicoke, so that's in South Etobicoke. So yeah, just uh, the Gardner and Islington. It's mm. right off. It's right off. Now, of meanwhile, the, the PC bottle looks to have been used several times. <laughs> wow! <laughs> it doesn't have a label <clears throat> on it. The PC light, and it's it's scuffed. It's the same. It's when when they're done with the vinegar in those bottles, they switch over <laughs> switch over to beer. It's you got to reuse and recycle, but yeah, yep. no, they, they're, it's a simple, simple look. I, I mean, I can go back to like grade 10 and getting drunk off of old Milwaukee 40s before uh, school <laughs> dances. This on the radio? So, well, that's why I've, I've Sorry, matured. he misspoke. Third year university. <laughs> I, 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 I had a beard by grade 10, but uh, it, yeah, but uh, so I mean, it's true though. If people just want, and it depends what your clientele is. If you just, if there's going to be a lot of young people that just want to drink to get drunk. But the thing is, Anthony, and I, I, I heard that all the time. I heard that all the time. That the bucket beer was great if you just want to drink a lot of it. But you guys just sampled it and blinded, well not blinded, but blind. You were blinded by this. Yes. I hope none of it made you blind. <laughs> yes. But you picked it as the best one, which blows my mind. I have, I bought it last night. I haven't tasted it. I have no idea. Mm -hmm. I had no idea what you were going to say. I was blown away when you guys all picked that one. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there you go. Speechless. Look at look, look <laughs> the panel. It's nothing to say. <laughs> I'm also. It also really does make me start to wonder about spending more and more money for people who go and buy the premium stuff because it must be tasting better. It must be better. And again, the craft beer people, I'm sorry. I know you're going to be hating me for this, but obviously that price does not equate with taste. But what was the cheap Laker, right? That was the cheap beer before. Laker or Lake or, or um, Lakeport. 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 Lakeport, yeah. And that, I know that taste. Like, I know I did not like the taste. I've never tried Cool before, so maybe I, I've been missing out. But I do remember cheaper beer tasting worse, but maybe this bucket beer thing's different it's not necessarily i i don't is it an ingredient i mean how can you change the ingredients to make it more premium i don't isn't just malt and like barley and like i guess you could buy more expensive or better malt mm. or better barley but i've been told by a brewer and again i don't know whether this is true i've never brewed beer mm. uh, i've been told that it's not necessarily the ingredients it's how you how long you do it or what the mix is or anything that you yeah. can adjust the taste so you could Look, uh, kudos to them. I've never even heard. I've never even heard of cool beer before the bucket beer thing. I'd never even seen it in the yeah. store before I walked in and there was a display. There. Isn't that like the cigar thing where like supposedly hand rolled cigars From just Cuba. taste better? And r really though, I mean, the, I mean, you know how they stick the grape leaves together in the hand rolled cigars? Oh. Some Cuban guy sitting on the I was going to say licks the edge of the grape leaf. <laughs> oh. If that's what makes it taste better, I'll get the factory made yeah. one. Thank you very much. Yeah, they, they clean the machines at least. I don't know. I don't know what he's doing with his hands. <laughs> anyway, guys, listen, that was uh, that was illuminating. Yes, that was, it was. very illuminating. <laughs> um, interesting. 
Buck a beer wins the Buck a beer blind taste test today. We did not see that one coming at all. Anyway, you guys can take your uh, your cups and the rest of your beer, sit it by your desk. <laughs> I don't know what each of your bosses <laughs> is going to think about that. Uh, Joel Castillo, weekday or weekends and swing announcer for Fresh FM. You can hear him if you if you're not listening for some reason. If you decide not to listen to 900. At least go to 95.3 <laughs> and listen to Joel. And he will say the same thing the other way around. And then Y108. And then Y108 yeah. as well. Uh, Keegan Buchanan, who is on promotions here for all the Chorus stations, and Anthony Urcioli, who now actually has to go back to work. <laughs> <laughs> never, never stops. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. By the way, uh, after the last segment, if you didn't catch us last hour, Go check the podcast when it pops up in a few minutes because uh, we did a blind taste test of six different beers that you can buy at the beer store, including two bucket beers from the bucket beer offering. And you'll never guess which one, which beer was chosen as the favorite of all three guys who are in here. Rick Zamperin joins me now, who is eyeing the two half. Were, the, were these the two options? Well, no, these are two of the options. Okay. These were the uh, the Grolsch and the Heineken, yep. the two premium Beers. Uh, neither one got very high grades. I uh, I'll admit I'm not a fan of either of these brews. I've I've uh, sampled them from time to time. I am okay uh, consuming them, but uh, not my favorite. Well, we had beer last hour. Yep. Next hour, Scott Thompson will be down at Ribfest broadcasting from Ribfest. This is going to be a full on gastronomic. Sp- sensation This was also a missed opportunity because you should have did this bit with the beer at Ribfest. They really go hand in hand. That would have been... Yes. The problem would have been, had that been the case, I would have not been sitting here just hosting. I would have probably been participating. (laughs) Yeah. And then who knows what the next half hour would have been. Uh, but Rick is eyeing those two cans. They're still half filled with beer because I couldn't unpour them all into the little so cups. So you, you have uh, basically a pint of beer there. If you if you were co- to combine the two. Yes. Just sitting there longingly sitting there. calling out for one of us. You walk into the, uh, the, the talk studio here at 900 CHML and the wall of beverage stench hits you like a Mike Tyson right hook. It, it smells like Labor Day game. <laughs> Yes, very much so. Actually, it does make me wonder, though, if because you walked in here 10 minutes after we did the testing and the smell, you're right, it is yeah. very strongly brewish yeah. in here. <laughs> it does make me wonder on those days when Bill or Scott comes in feeling under the weather. You're right. <laughs> how many germs have been captured in this place There's two that things. I can't smell yeah. but that are killing me? There's two things I thought of when I, when I came in. I thought either A... Um, Someone's really using some harsh cleaner in the studio. <laughs> or B, because Shona Thompson reads the news here in the morning on CHML, I yeah. thought, man, her perfume is really, uh, it's interesting. It's, and uh, lo and behold, it's the beer. It's very Labattish. <laughs> yes. It's very, very export so. A. It's very, uh, yeah. Yes, yeah, so Shona is wearing Ode Export A. <laughs> Um, but it does smell like Labor Day game in here. It certainly does. Right now. Uh, minus a little bit of urine. Because there's that that is mixed that's, into that's the well, that's more of an Ivor Wynn yes, kind very, of yeah, smell. Less, so. Tim Hortons Tim Hortons Field no. never has urine. No, they, it's more of a well. They got uh, some rib um, yes. uh, scents, uh, some burger scents. They smell pizza and popcorn. Well, we are um, yes, mm, pizza and popcorn. Mm-mm-mm. Very Starting go. to get hungry. There's your next bit. We are. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Blind taste test of burgers. You know what you got to do? You got to call Adam Oldfield right now in his Hamilton limo, who's coming over here uh, for an 11.30. Tell him to bring uh, more beer. Tech top. And, pi- and pizza. And pizza. Let's do it. Mm, we still got beer left. Yeah. Uh, it is three slash four days because it's that, well, I'm counting 
not today, but Saturday, Sunday, Monday, three days right. until the Labor Day Classic this year. Do you remember last year's Labor Day Classic? Not it really. Was, it no. was memorable. Oh, it was <laughs> it was very memorable. Well, what happened last year again? Last year, I know the Ticats won. Last year was the Labor Day Classic that was endlessly delayed by the lightning oh, yes. and the torrential monsoon-like storms. They yeah. had to clear people out of the stadium. Yeah, yeah. I think it was was it twice the players had to leave the field. I think it was at least once, and I remember it kept getting delayed. It was okay. We're going to restart at eight thirty, and, and then it was going to be nine, and then I think it eventually was like nine fifteen or nine thirty or something. And there were about forty-two people left in the stadium. Yeah, basically, yeah. Because people, you know, they take their kids to Labor Day. Yeah, and schools so nice that day. the kids can see dad get liquored up the last day before <laughs> school and scream obscenities at players because right. yeah. um, what better way to introduce your kid to football CFL football yeah. than to watch dad drink 15 beers and fire the F-bomb mm-hmm. at Argo players right uh, but they had to leave to go home to school and so there was nobody there. but it was it was memorable I remember that was that was it, it was the game that went on forever and then the guy who's now the Ticats kicker mm-hmm. Liram Hiralahu yes blew it he missed it. He missed it at the buzzer, at the final horn, at the last second, and the Toronto Argonauts could have won, ended up losing. So mm-hmm. it's like peering into a time machine, though, Rick. When you look, think about that, that was only a year ago. Yeah. There's a lot that has happened on this Tiger Cats, well, on both teams, but there's a yeah. lot that has happened in the last year since that game. Definitely. I, you know, uh, there's no more Zach Caleros. Uh, I know he didn't start in that well, game. Well, let's go through these. You're bringing still, these up. Yeah. Zach Caleros is now in Saskatchewan. Yeah. Playing when he's playing, mm-hmm. playing pretty well. Yeah, looking, l- looking better or worse or the same as Jeremiah Masoli. Good question. Uh, you know, if I had Caleros, you know, it's it's tough to to compare because they're on different teams. You know, they play different styles, have different players. But if I were to take Zach Caleros and put him on Hamilton and do the same with Jeremiah Masoli and ship him out to Saskatchewan, would they be as effective? And I think the answer would be no. I think uh, Caleros would be much more effective in Hamilton than Masoli would be in Saskatchewan. Mm. And I say that because uh, Caleros, you know, knows the system by and large, uh, knows the players that are around, uh, you know, uh, the offensive scheme here in Hamilton. Masoli in Saskatchewan, I think there would be a bigger learning curve because it's an entirely new playbook, an entirely new team. I think there would be uh, an adjustment, certainly for him. So I think... Now, whether the Ticats would be five and four or six and three or or I don't know one and seven, uh, that that would remain to be seen. But you know, at, at four and five hanging in, into the Labor Day Classic, I think um, you know you ask more most fans if they would have accepted a four and five record, considering what they were last year at this time. Oh, and eight, uh, they would have said, "Yeah, let's take it and let's run with it." Uh, you know, Caleros, and just before we move off of him and off of Masoli, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Zach Caleros, you are you have a style here in Hamilton that is vastly different from what he was playing when oh, yeah. he was here. Yeah. When June Jones came in, who's another name we're going to mention in a second, when he came in, he completely changed it. It's more like the run and shoot of Mouse Davis of Once Upon a Time. Right. Uh, that certainly plays to Mazzoli's strength yep. most of the time. Yep. Most of the time. Does it play to Zach Caleros' strength? The three-step drop or the seven-step drop, but get rid of the ball real fast, find someone, and boom, gone. Yeah, well, you know, Caleros is not a running quarterback like like Masoli is. Uh, the scheme that he played, uh, you know, the Ticats ran the ball eight times a game, and they threw it, uh, you know, it seemed like 89 times a game. Uh, whereas it's, a, it, it's not a complete 50-50 balance under June Jones, but... 
there is at least a commitment to run the ball. So uh, whether Alex Green is getting 10 carries or, or 18 carries, there's other guys that are in the mix. Masoli can certainly run. That wasn't really in the cards uh, or in the scheme that Ken Austin had implemented with his Ticats. And, you know, obviously they had a lot of success uh, with Henry Burris in Hamilton, uh, with Zach Caleros in Hamilton under Ken Austin's uh, regime. But there obviously came a point where things weren't working anymore and that, that kind of system wasn't working. So with June Jones coming in, that offense is much more tailor-made to Jeremiah Masoli. They can run the read option and they do so and they'd run it effectively uh, he's good on short distance runs when they're not out of the shotgun uh, and I, I just think that Masoli's been on this I don't want to ca- call it an incredible hot streak but I think uh, a level of consistency that we hadn't seen prior to his starting days he would come in play a few series and we'd think okay that was you know one out of those four series were good uh, in his current you know f- whatever it is uh, 20 game stretch uh, he's been much more consistent. Now, it's not perfect all the time, and you're never going to get perfection all the time, but I think he is heads and tails above what we were seeing before that 10-game run last year. Well, the puzzle for me for Jeremiah Masoli is exactly what you just said. He has been much more consistent. This offense seems to be geared to him, and from his goal line all the way down the field yeah. to the opponent's 20-yard line... It's pretty good. It's great. Mm-hmm. Most uh, more often than not, it's boom, 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 and you get to the twenty, and for some reason, yeah, they stub their toe. Why? I I'm thinking they are thinking the same question. You know, what's going on? What's but is happening? that is that Masoli, or is that the play calling that is changing when they get to there? Yeah, I think it's a bit of both. Um, you know, Jeremiah has a propensity to not make the play when the chips are down. We've seen that a few times. Now, he did, and did so very effectively in the last game against Edmonton, in which they came back from a 24-10 deficit at halftime to uh, you know score uh, 15 unanswered points and win that game uh, in the last second. So we know he can do it. I think we'd all, as Ticats fans, want to see him do it a little bit more, more often, uh, and change from a guy who can't make those big plays in those key times to a guy that you can count on and be that Mr. Clutch. So, yeah, I think it's a bit of the play calling. I think it's a bit of Masoli either not seeing or not trusting or not executing, whatever the play call is. That is something that they have to correct. Earlier on in the season, uh, they were forcing turnovers as a defense, not scoring points on those on those turnovers. I think they've solved a bit of that issue. Now it's a matter of you know getting touchdowns as opposed to getting field goals when they're in that scenario. You think that's in his head? Do you think Jeremiah Masoli, when he gets down there now, it's happened so many times that he starts to say... I don't know if I, this is going to happen. Do you start to doubt yourself? You know, I'd say that for probably most guys because that's a natural feeling. But knowing Jeremiah and talking to him, I mean, he's he's a different kind of cat. He's a really uh, methodical, kind of deep-thinking, almost moving in super slow motion kind of athlete. I mean, I don't think really a lot gets under his skin or a lot bothers him. I think he's of the mindset of, you know, I'm going to get this opportunity again, and you know, next time I'm just going to get it done, whether he does it or not. I think that mindset is always there. The reason and I think I you have to have that as a pro athlete, well, otherwise re- you're not going to be successful. Yeah, and the reason I ask that is, I, I, I just I've wondered if there have been so many games in the last year that the Ty Cats have been in, and one drive at the end of the game that would lead to a touchdown, they right. win the game that doesn't happen. Now they did kick the field goal last week, but I just wonder, does Jeremiah Missoli does something? Does the switch flick on? That first time that they yeah. actually go down the field and win on a touchdown, does all of a sudden they he say, "All right, different man." Solved now. it. Yeah, I. You know what? I th- I thought of that certainly after the last game, and I don't. 
I'm not sure he thought of that. I think the the mindset is they you know they have the ball, they have to score at least a field goal. I think it's just a matter of all right, let's get some first downs. I don't think they really think about you know as an athlete, I'm kind of getting in their heads. Um, obviously, they're thinking, hey, if we don't make these plays, we're not going to win the game. But I think it's a play by play kind of attitude to say. Let's make this play. Okay, this play worked. We're going to continue. This play didn't work. Yeah, there's a little bit more pressure, but I think the mindset is always we got to get this play done. But we're still talking about this in very different terms. If Luke Tasker doesn't make a miracle play last week, oh, yeah. take a short pass and turn it into something ridiculous right. and Edmonton players are crashing into each other, take that play away. Now, they may still go down and drive and score a mm-hmm. touchdown then, mm-hmm. but the way the game was going, it doesn't look like that was going to happen. Right. And suddenly now we're saying... Same thing as before. Mazzoli's yeah. not the guy. He can put up a ton of yards, but he doesn't come through when it matters the most. They did last week. Yeah. But how many fans are saying, uh, okay, the Ticats won in dramatic fashion last week against the Eskimos. Uh, now they've turned the corner. Now, now they know how to win in those clutch times. I mean, it's easy to say as a fan. I think as a player, they're, they're, they have tunnel vision in that regard. They, they know that if they don't make the play, they're not going to win the game. And if they make the play, they're going to win the game. I think it's pretty black and white in terms of the athlete. Let's go through a few more people that have changed from this time last year when we were getting ready for the Labor Day game. Uh, June Jones is in. Now, June, Joan won, June Jones won his first game as a Ticat head mm-hmm. coach in the Labor Day game last year, yep. the game that took forever to get the win. <laughs> they didn't actually have to dump a bottle of Gatorade on him because he, <laughs> he was soaking so wet already. <laughs> June Jones clearly uh, had an impact last year when he came in. They were 0-8. They turned things around. They got better. Yep. But there have been questions this year about whether the other teams have figured out his defense mm-hmm. and if the good teams that actually have the personnel to execute are capable now of stopping it, which would make it problematic if you get into the playoffs. Do yeah. you believe he's been figured out or do you believe that he is still tweaking and can still find ways to score points? Yeah, I think uh, any coach, and, and June Jones in this case, is always looking at new things, always uh, you know looking at new wrinkles in terms of the, the playbook and the game plan. Uh, I think that every coach in this league knows each other's tendencies, favorites, uh, you know, key plays, uh, you know, uh, scenarios or formations or plays that a certain coach will run in a certain, you know, aspect of the game. Uh, so I think they've, I think they've all kind of figured each other out. It's just a matter of at those particular junctures of a game that the opposing defensive coordinator or the offensive coordinator has is, is kind of figured out you know, what June Jones has done throughout the game. I don't know if they've completely figured him out. I don't know if any coach can completely figure out you know, what – it's almost a chess game. You know, what's your next move going to be? I, I, you know, I can think of you know, seven or eight different things that you're going to do, and if I pick the one that you've done, okay, I've, I've figured it out at least for that play. I think this Ticat, when you look at the offensive statistics at least, never mind the win-loss column, I think that Hamilton's put up a lot of incredible stats, Masoli especially. Uh, defensively, I think they've played a lot better. You know, the addition of Delvin Bro has really changed that defense. Uh, Ted Laurent's playing well. Uh, you know, Larry Dean and Simone Lawrence have really stepped up their game. Uh, I think the addition of Mike Daly at safety, although, uh, again, not a, a perfect composition of what he can do. I think he's been an improvement over the last you know, number of years in terms of uh, some defensive toughness and getting to the football. Um, I like the direction the team is going. I don't like the win-loss column, but I think there is at least some progression. And the one thing they have avoided so far this year, unlike many previous years, they're not torn apart by injuries. Not they've got, yeah, yes, they've, they've got a couple, but it's not the 20-plus that they've had yes, uh, over the last Of all years. the key guys. Yeah. 
Uh, okay. Although Chris Williams is gone for the year with an ACL. That uh, ACL or ankle. Or Achilles. Achilles, yeah. All right, a few other people who have changed from the past year. A year ago, one of the missing guys on the Ticats who had been a star and looked like he was just on his way out, like he didn't matter anymore, Brandon Banks, mm-hmm. who has suddenly under June Jones yeah. had a resurrection. Well, he was a guy under Ken Austin that he was a special teams dynamo and, and still can be. If, and pretty know, much that was role. it. That was it. I mean, had a sprinkling on offense. And now he's one of the key guys. I mean, he showed last year over the last six games, especially at a hundred yards every game. Uh, this year started on that kind of role as well. He's not only a deep threat, but can catch the intermediate and the short passes and make a couple of guys miss and get you know some first downs. Uh, but he's a guy that's a favorite of Masoli. They work well together. Jalen Saunders, I'd put him in that category as well. Luke Tasker's there too. Uh, Terrence Tolliver. I mean, you name it. They have a lot of weapons on offense. Uh, but Brandon Banks. Um, it was almost a revelation to say, wow, he can play offense and be a game breaker. And he was. Um, so I think that was a, a, one of the key moves that June Jones made. Number one, changing the quarterbacks, even though I wasn't a huge fan of you know that move. And I wanted to see Caleros under a June Jones kind of system and see how he would fare. Um, so certainly Masoli, number one, was the, the biggest change. Number two is probably, uh, you know, not only sprinkling more Brandon Banks, but making him a focus on offense in, in that deep ball. One of the things people may not realize, they know Brandon Banks is a little guy. I was talking to him this week about a story that I was writing, and it is a reminder. He is he is a basically a number two pencil. Just, number I mean, two. <laughs> he is he is that size. He is there is almost nothing number to Brandon. Yes. There is almost nothing to Brandon Banks. He's short, he is wispy, you know he what? is it, he if he weighs I, I don't know what he's listed at, but he can't weigh hundred and fifty pounds. I think he's listed at one fifty four or one fifty six, mm. somewhere in that regard. I think it's a little heavy. If you were to see Brandon Banks at a supermarket uh, or anywhere, you would think he was in grade eight. You definitely. I mean, there was no way you'd think he would play. If you asked him what he did for a living, he said football. You would laugh at him. If you are the coach of a high school team in this city, you could actually (laughs) sneak Brandon Banks onto your roster, and he would not be the biggest guy in your team, and you'd be able to play him. And it would take till the third quarter before someone said, "Who's that guy?" Yeah, exactly. Kent Austin. You mentioned Kent Austin and the changes there and how Brandon Banks was just a special teams guy. Kent Austin is still listed as an advisor or yes, something, consultant, consultant yeah. to the team. When was the last? We have seen Bigfoot more this summer than we've seen <laughs> Kent Austin. A Loch Ness Monster in the where Hamilton is, Harbor. Yeah, where yeah. is Kent Austin? What's he doing? Uh, I saw a photo of him at a concert in the States once uh, earlier this summer, but uh, I've not seen was him it around. Grainy? Was it grainy? Was, was it, it photoshopped? <laughs> Yeah. Was it shot with a long lens? Yeah, I haven't seen him. Uh, now, I don't go to Tim Hortons Field every day, but I haven't seen him at the stadium. Uh, I certainly haven't seen him on game days at the stadium. Now, again, he might be around, but I have my doubts. I, I think he's really an arm's length kind of uh, Very voice. Very long arms. Yeah, a voice. If they need him, I don't think they're asking him a lot of questions at this point. I think he's there uh, as a personal favor to uh, maybe someone in the front office, but I don't think... Or to him to keep paying to a salary. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think he's having... Um, much, if any, influence on the day-to-day operations of this uh, franchise. Just before we go, uh, one more player who, since the last year, he's been on two teams, I guess, maybe three, I can't remember, but he's on the Argos now, but he's not going to be playing on the Argos. Why is Deron Carter not playing in the Labor Day game? Because they just picked him up. They need offense. Yes. Well, he is going to replace Devere Posey, who's now in the NFL, as that, you know, deep threat for Toronto. Um I know I would have loved to see him in this in this game on Monday because he adds uh, an extra layer of 
everything. I mean, from controversy to talents to, uh, you know, everything out of the sun. He's the, you know, the total package. He, he is that... Not necessarily trash talking, but he's he's that loudmouth kid colorful. who can back it up. Yeah. He's colorful. So um, uh, yeah, again, I would have loved to see him in this game. It would have added you know that much more to it. He's a receiver though, Rick. Yeah. Like if he's a quarterback, I know you can't learn the whole offense. We saw that with sure. Johnny yeah. Manziel. Yeah. But if you're a receiver, surely in the span of a week or week and a half, you can learn Definitely. six or oh, seven routes that you can be put in. You're not in for every play. Yeah. But. It, and he is a threat. I don't understand why you sign him. Yeah. These are maybe your two most important games of the year for the Argos, and you would say, well, we'll, we'll get him in after this. Yes. Well, this is total Mark Cressman. Knowing the history of Deron Carter, uh, he has a checkered past in terms of you know, speaking his mind, getting into trouble, that sort of thing, uh, rubbing teammates and coaches the wrong way. Um, I think this is Tressman sitting him down not necessarily to show him who's the boss, but I think he wants, Tressman, I think, wants to make sure that Carter understands Argo's football, at least the mentality and the tone that he's trying to set. Whether that's going to work in terms of winning the ball game, I'm not quite sure, but uh, good luck to Toronto because they're going to need it. Uh, game is, <laughs> yeah, well, we'll see. I mean, you know what? He's either going to be a guy who is going to explode and blow up in their face and it's going to be a disaster or he's going to be a guy who becomes motivated because of what happened in Saskatchewan and he is a star. He could could be the Argos Brandon Banks of I'm expecting more of the latter because I think he should, I say should, realize that this is probably his last kick of the can. I would think. In the CFL. He's not going into the NFL, even though his dad is a Hall of Famer down there. Uh, This is it. So, uh, I mean, he's going to have to, he's, he's made his bed, now he's lying in it in Toronto. I said last thing, but I got one more. I forgot. Right. Why is it that the Labor Day game is played at 6.30 mm-hmm. as opposed to 1 o'clock on yep. Labor Day? Forever, it was 1 o'clock. It was the right time. You yep. had 1 o'clock in the east, 4 o'clock in the west. Everyone yep. was home by 7. It was a beautiful thing. And you go to bed. Why are we having the Labor Day game at 6.30? Two letters for you. TV. TV ratings. That's what it's all about. You got a game at 6.30, you have another one at 9.30, and TV is much more lucrative in the evenings as opposed to the afternoon, even on the holiday. See, I, I, I look, I'm assuming they've done all kinds of studies in this. I, I would think that the afternoon game on Labor Day would be the one game. From a fan you, standpoint, yeah. But that you would say, I'll stay home and I'll, I'll sit in and watch the Labor Day game as opposed to, I got to go to bed. I got to get the kids ready. I'm right. going to have to be up early in the morning. I still think it's a mistake. I yeah. think the, the last time they had it at this time, it was, uh, or one of the first times, was still back at Iverwin. It was early in the Bob Young Empire, mm. and it was the year that they went late. Everyone got hammered. One of the Ticat <laughs> fans bit off an Argos fan's ear, <laughs> yeah. and then someone climbed the goalpost and hung by the flag. I, I, I think we may be missing up a few, mixing up a few games here, but um, <laughs> I thought they were always going to go to the afternoons anyway. Yeah. Just to save the drinking time. You can take these cans of beer, by the I'll way, now that I mention that. Rick Zamperin, <laughs> you can catch him on the fifth quarter after the Labor Day game on yes. Monday evening. He will be here taking your calls, intoxicated and otherwise. Sure. <laughs> I'll be here. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.